All right, guys, let's do this. The uh, hot stove, very much active right now. We've got so much to talk about tonight on Behind the Yellow Line. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. The Cubs have made some major moves, big free agent signings coming to the north side here. They've missed out on a handful of other guys and some of the biggest names in the sport land, some in their original town, others in others. So we've got a lot to get to. I just want to jump straight into it. You know, most of tonight, about 90% of tonight's show is Cubs focus, what the Cubs have done, what the Cubs haven't done, where you go from here is the Cubs. But I want to kind of zoom out here to start the show a little bit. The winter meetings, it's this important rite of passage at the beginning of the off season. It's where you see a flurry of action. It's where free agents start going. We anticipate this a lot. Jeremy, did it live up to the hype this year? Um, I see that's like a tough question for me. I, I feel like yes and no. I'm gonna say on a personal level, no. I don't. Th- I I don't think it lived up to the hype. There were a lot of trades. There were a lot, or excuse me, there were a lot of free agent signings. I'm gonna say there were not a lot of trades, but like for some reason, for something me, maybe it was an extra day because it was a day shorter. It just, I just didn't feel like it. Didn't feel like all the rumors were out there. All the the stuff was going. So I'm gonna say no. I don't. I don't think it lived up to the hype. Well, that that's the problem with following rumors, Jeremy. Is they they paint an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> of what we expect to happen. I will say though, uh, after the winter meetings not being in person in uh, 2020, 2021, and finally we're back in 2022, it was kind of fun to be sitting here late at night expecting Rosenthal or Passan, and those are the only two reporters worth following, of course, we'll get into it later, but expecting one of them to just come across the wire with team has signed player to huge deal. We haven't gotten that in the winter meetings for the past three years, obviously. And with the off the lockout last season, uh, we haven't really gotten that uh, a ton in December. So it was kind of nice. I, I hate rumors, but I like the environment where it feels like anybody could sign anywhere at any time. I do enjoy that. And we did at least get that this week. Well, for me personally, Randall, with the rumors, I like it when like, you know, the whole day is just my whole timeline is just coming at me. And I get all these little tidbits, all these little news. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's false. I don't know. But there's something going on. When when Heyman tweeted about Arson Judge going to uh, the Giants, <laughs> that blew up Twitter. It was a huge thing. Like that was It lit fun. Twitter on fire because was, Arson. Yeah, exactly. It was a fun, uh, you know, time period. I just feel like we didn't have that. And I think part of the problem with that now is like, so much of the winter meetings is done like behind closed doors or like not like in the old days, like you'd have like kept like I remember reading about and listening to Kevin Towers used to like post up in the hotel bar. I'm open for business. Come talk to me. You know, people would be around. People would be talking. Now everything's done in suites and meetings. And so I don't feel like there's probably not that kind of level of rumor mongering going on because there's not that word of mouth going on. And I just feel like it kind of it just kind of felt that way. And I don't know. And like I said, it was a day shorter. So that for some reason for me. I just didn't get that quite that excitement. No, I, I get it. But I, I think less rumor mongering is a good thing. I like it a whole lot more when these deals come completely out of nowhere. There's no chatter. There's no lead no. up. It's just boom, no. boom, no. it drops no. No. and everyone That's reacts so to it. I like that a lot better. No. I do. I you like that the, a lot better. You want the roller coaster. You want the drama. You want, oh, is this possible? And you're all excited. Hey, Cubs are about to sign this guy or whoever, or, you know, wow, this guy's going to go to San Francisco. And then boom, last minute you get this curveball. I like the drama of it. And yeah, I was a little disappointed this year. I will say there were a couple of moves that I went, 
wow, wow, that guy's going where and getting how much money? But it felt like there were only a handful of those instead of a, a big free-for-all that maybe I was hoping for. You it, could argue that one of the biggest signings of the winter meetings was not a signing. It was an incredibly visible and incredibly stupid mistake by one of the sport's most visible but worst reporters who is duking it out with Bob Nightingale for that title. Yeah, that's true. Like our that was a, that was a big moment as I mentioned before. But I, I for you guys, I am curious, especially you, Randall. Were you up all night just waiting to hit that no, refresh button? No, I'm not as not as young. So first of all, think about think about TweetDeck because you don't need a refresh button, Jeremy. TweetDeck uh, mm. it, it refreshes itself automatically. Second of all, no, I am not as young as I used to be. We all have responsibilities. I was not up all night, but while I was still awake. It was nice to just kind of keep an eye on things, and you never know what was going to come across the wire. Just last night, the, the winter meetings are done, and uh, right before midnight, we find that uh, a major signing takes place, and I'm sure we'll get into it later. But again, I like that. I like the environment where it feels like a may something could actually happen. Not rumors, not hearsay, not sources, not you know sources indicate, blah, 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 blah. I like the environment where it feels like something could happen, and uh, some, some things did happen. And I do like that for as much as I don't like the rumor mill well i think a big problem for the three of us is at least from a cubs perspective they had a big splash early and then it kind of tapered out a little bit and some of these guys that we thought maybe would be landing on the north side were getting mega deals in places like philadelphia and san diego and elsewhere so i think that maybe brought it down for all of us right the, the cubs make this big splash early with cody bellinger they address the starting rotation definitely want to get into both of those but after that, it kind of got quiet. So, it did. It was front yeah, heavy is what it was. Exactly. Exactly. But let's start with the front heavy here. I'm thrilled about this. Cubs needed to address center field. We've talked about that. Anybody who covers this team or reports on the team has talked about it. And they go out and they get a very intriguing player. 27-year-old Cody Bellinger, one year, the total commitment's going to be around $17 million. This is a guy who was a rookie of the year, an MVP, and has not hit at all the last two years. What an intriguing circumstance here on the north side now. I love it. I love the signing. I'm, I'm going to say it right now. A great, I don't, I don't know what great signing, but this is a very useful signing. If you're going to take a flyer on guy, and you can argue that the Cubs should not be taking flyers on guys, that they have all the resources they need to get top players at lots of different positions. But if you're going to take a flyer on a guy, you can do a lot worse than taking a flyer on a guy with an MVP to his name who plays a primary position that the Cubs needed at, whose secondary position is also a position they had a need at, uh, who's coming to a better hitting environment, and it's a one-year deal. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Uh, I am all for this deal. I was all for it when he hit free agency. I'm all for it now that the Cubs have gone out and gotten him. I agree with you, Randall. All right. And we know, Ronan, you were the one pushing this a couple weeks ago on the podcast. You were uh, the belly so, boy. Yeah, credit to you there. You were on the Cody Bellinger. And I, and I like it for the fact of, as you mentioned, uh, a guy who plays center field where we know the Cubs have a hole. A guy who also plays first base where we know the Cubs have a hole. Um, yeah, and center field, like the Cubs were, I believe, second or third worst in run save, the defensive run saved in center field last year. Cody Bellinger has been at times a gold glove caliber center fielder. So just getting that, that's a huge upgrade. Not even talking about his offense. That could be a couple win upgrade just in getting, you know, an average defender playing center field where how bad the Cubs have been uh, in that position. You're not going to see Rafael Ortega, you know, Cody yeah. Bellinger takes that from the left-handed side, like that spot away from Ortega, which is also Cody Bellinger is a much better brace runner than Rafael Ortega. So yeah, I love it. I think it's a perfect fit 
for next year's Cubs team with Bellinger. Uh, Ronan, you love nothing more than reminding us anytime you come even close to being correct. You love saying facts and truth, even when you are nowhere near uh, providing facts or truth. Do you feel well, vindicated? Well, you, I, uh, okay. Do you I feel, feel vindicated? satisfied that the Cubs did something that I wanted them to do? And this was the beginning of the offseason. I'm like, oh, wow, if they're getting Bellinger, well, maybe Correa is coming now. Or maybe we saw the report of like Dansby and Bogarts. It's like, oh, things are getting spicy. I very much like this move. You guys are right. There is a question about the bat, but you're getting a very good glove at a position they need. But what I really like about this is everything is on the line for him. He's 27 years old. If he goes out and he has a solid season, he's going to make a ton of money. He's playing for life-changing, life-changing money. He's already made plenty in his career, but we're talking massive, massive deal if he can go out and perform. So there's incentive for him to do everything he needs this offseason, everything in spring training, embrace the change of scenery, and go out. And he doesn't need to do a 47 home run season like he did in 2019. If he can hit his career slash line, he's going to get a massive deal. So he's playing for so much. And I love players on low-risk contracts, that are playing for something like that because I think he's going to come out and crush it next year for the Cubs. To be clear, Cody, uh, can we call you Cody, Mr. Bellinger, whatever you prefer if you are listening? Uh, feel free to hit 47 home runs this season. We're not saying you can't. We're just saying you don't need to. Don't feel like there's any pressure, Cody. Yeah, and uh, I agree. If you want to hit 47 home runs, go ahead and do it. But I agree with you, uh, Ronan. And I think, you know, first of all, he wanted that. He, he turned down multi-year yeah. deals because he wants – the chance to go out and prove it because he knows if he can prove it, he's going to make so much more in the long run. So I think it works out perfectly. I mean, the Cubs have the opportunity to give a guy like Cody Bellinger that shot and he can come in, you know, knowing that like I got to produce and I want to produce. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to expect that MVP caliber hitter. I don't think we're going to get that, but you know, there are probably some things that maybe the Cubs can tinker with. Remember he is still coming off that shoulder injury that he had. So that might take a little while to heal from, and but like I just go back to the fact that it's a huge basically everywhere except for the offensive side. It's a huge upgrade over what the Cubs had center field. And if you can get any sort of offense, if you can even get back to a close to average major league hitter, mm -hmm. that is a huge upgrade for the Cubs in center field. And so I think yeah. it's a win win. And just a point of clarity on the contract, here, he will be paid $17.5 million. It is a $12 million base salary, and there is a, I believe, a mutual option for $5.5 million. But both sides, I think, have probably handshaked to, to decline that. So he will be paid $17.5 million for the 2023 season. There is just a 2024 mutual option for that remaining $5.5 million. So it, it all adds up to the same, but, you know, this is Scott Boris and the Cubs uh, being creative to give the client uh, give the client what he wants while giving the team what they want. So a little bit of a uh, contract maneuvering to, to get that in there. Uh, Randall, cover your ears here for a minute. I was talking with a Cardinals fan oh, no. the other day. Did right? you use small words? <laughs> no, no, no. And he said to me, wow, you, you know, well. here we are signing Wilson Contreras and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Um, you guys are going out and getting Cody Billinger just to trade him in July. I said, hold on, that's not the plan here at all. The plan is this guy's going to be maybe the team leader in home runs for the Cubs next year. Who knows where this goes? I, this is not a sign and dump type move. And if that's where the Cubs are in July, 
a whole bunch of stuff went wrong. Uh, but th- that's not how I'm looking at this at all. This is a guy that they signed with the intention of having a bounce back year and helping push the Cubs to the playoffs. Well, the Cardinals and their fans know all about dumps. They take them, they live in them, they 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 home themselves in them. So yeah, I'm not real worried about what the Cardinals fans think. I would like to point out the last time the Cubs signed a beloved former Dodgers outfielder, he went on to win the World Series that year. I'm not providing yeah. any additional context. I'm just I'm saying what is true. Well, that I don't like true. you talking about guys traded when I'm trying to make the point that he's sticking around exactly. for the rest of the uh, season for the Cubs. But but, I, but Jeremy, Jeremy, you're right though. You know the point you're saying. Last year he didn't hit right two ten two sixty five. His career line two forty eight three thirty. If he gets there, you're totally right, Jeremy. The offensive production in center field is a boost for the Cubs, and you've got a really good glove. And Wrigley Field has a tricky center field, but it's not the biggest center field in baseball. We've seen sort of average center fielders and thinking like Dexter Fowler come to Chicago and do pretty well in center field. I think Bellinger is going to be very comfortable at Wrigley field. And I think, I think this is going to be a big bounce back year for him. No guarantees. He's a cub after, but this is a statement year for him. And I'm glad it's happening in Chicago. I I think that, and you know, let's put it out. Like it's kind of a solid outfield when you have Suzuki on one side and Ian Happ, who's coming off a career year, uh, gold glove year, um, you know, at all 28, 27, just kind of in that range. It's kind of a nice outfield to have. And I, I, I like I'm wanting Cody Bellinger, you know, stick around and be. But it's not the worst fallback option necessarily if the Cubs, unfortunately, aren't competitive and do. And he has a good year and they do have to trade him um, it is is kind of a nice option to have. But I, I, I just like it. I just think it fits very well. It fits very well with the Cubs are trying to do. It seems like the Cubs are kind of moving I mean, they, they're going to need offense, but they do have kind of a solid defensive, um, especially up the middle, like kind of front where we haven't quite always seen that in the past couple of years where they've sacrificed a little bit of defense. And so I think I think when you get, you know, Bellinger, Suzuki and half like that's a solid outfield and that average age of that outfield is like 28 years old. So I, I, I'm a big fan of it, a big proponent and athletic outfield for the Cubs here. Uh, but yeah, uh, defense improves pitching, starting rotation, bullpen. It helps win ball games, no question about it. And what the Cubs have done behind home plate, also part of that as well. So uh, we're all excited about this. You're right, Jeremy. I was advocating for this weeks ago. I was hoping he'd get non-tendered by the Dodgers. It opened up this sort of perfect storm for him. And something else that I like that he brings to Chicago is he has been on multiple playoff teams he has been on a World Series champion, lots of NLCS appearances. There's not a ton of guys on this Cubs roster for next season that has a lot of that, that have been in clubhouses that have made the push in July and August and September and then into October. I don't really know what type of clubhouse guy Cody Bellinger is. He seems pretty laid back. But I think the <laughs> fact that he has been in this position is going to be good for other guys in that clubhouse. What he'll be able to do with a guy like Christopher Morrell, who's never been in a situation like this, there's going to be value to that too. So I don't want to get too caught up in that aspect of it. What he does on the field is most important, but he brings an intangible that the Cubs don't have a lot of on this roster. And I think that's going to be cool. Even Suzuki, who's a veteran in his own way, he's not experienced playoff baseball or a pennant push. Get him with Bellinger and Hap, who's gotten a taste of that, certainly with the Cubs. That's going to help some of these younger guys or guys that are even new to the team. And Hap seemed pretty excited. Like he was tweeting about yeah. it. He looked pretty um, happy that Bellinger is coming in. So I think Bellinger will be a solid guy in the clubhouse. I, I, I've i never seen anything from him personally. I mean, I obviously don't know and I don't follow the Dodgers closely, but that he always seemed like, you know, and 
who knows? Maybe there's more Dodgers following him here. Hopefully, I don't know, but uh, I I think that Bellinger. I, I like. I just like the fit. As I said, I think it's a perfect yeah. fit and a perfect pillow contract, as you will, if you will. Cody Bellinger, Chicago Cub. Yeah, wild Former MVP. Yeah. Now, the yeah, only so- the only question is what is Justin Steele going to demand for that jersey number thirty five? Uh, Justin, Ooh. don't don't ask for anything less than a car. You you've got what Cody Bellinger wants. Leverage that shit. So Randall, if you were in that position, your ask is a car. A car, yeah. Uh, you know, you have you a car know, in mind. Do I have a car in mind? No. Yeah. You what give would me you a couple, want? You give me some time. I'd probably figure something out. Get a real nice, you know, SUV. Something can something with big trunk. Put all the gear in there. Uh, and you know, if the car doesn't work, then you can come down. But don't start it just a Rolex. You can do better than that. Always, you know, start your ask high, and then you can come down Rolexes, from there. Man. Yeah, Rolexes. <laughs> probably some Rolexes that cost as much as a a small car. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, start big. Maybe the, maybe that number is worth a lot of money to Cody Bellinger. Justin Steele's a young guy. You know, he hasn't been in the majors very long. He hasn't Justin made a ton Steele, of money. Randall, I know your mind's on the Bears, but let's let's Justin Steele. Justin Steele, yes. That's what I said, Justin Steele. You said Justin Fields. No, you might have heard me say Justin Fields. I said Justin Steele. All right, well, Jer- Jeremy, what are you leveraging here for the number if Bellinger comes calling for it? Randall wants a car. I- I've got yeah. a completely different direction. W- what do you go with here? Uh, for me, i probably just take cash, man. And then I can decide <laughs> what I want to buy with that cash. Make the, make the check out to me, Justin yeah, Steele. Like, me, Ronan, me, Ronan, you've got something different in mind. What's your, what's your ask? You think he could get away with the hotel upgrade? on all road trips this season you know you go from the standard nice room and they're in five-star beautiful you know five hundred dollar night hotel rooms you think he could kick it up to a suite at least half the road trips of the year i i that's what i would push for you know that's that's not a bad road. call yeah. justin Steele has uh, a, a young a young child uh, just born reason, last yeah. year all the more reason exactly it's something that the uh that jason hayward did for david ross in his final year was upgrade him to a suite so that his family could come with and they could, they could occupy that suite. That that's a real good call Ronan for a, for a new dad, like Justin yeah. Steele. See if you can leverage into something that makes life easier on the family. And just, you know, comfort on the road at that uh, nice room service to the beautiful, spacious uh, hotels you're staying yeah. in. Cody, when I want that cheeseburger at 2 AM, you're paying for it from room service. Is it too early? It's December 8th when I'm asking this. Does anybody on this podcast want to say Cody Bellinger leads the Cubs in home runs next year? Uh, Sure, I'll take that. I have a pretty bad track record on that prediction over the last two years. Uh, I'm going to – and my prediction was outfielders. So I'm going to say no, that that is incorrect. I think think the player that leads the Cubs in home runs next year has yet to be acquired. I hope so. Right. I like that. That'd be a good thing for the Cubs uh, or a really bad thing, depending on <laughs> how things go next year. Uh, the other big splash the Cubs make starting rotation is something that they've needed to address. 30 year old right-hander Jamison Tyone, four years, $68 million, a couple of years with Pittsburgh, the last two years with the New York Yankees. Interesting here for the Cubs. Randall, you like this or you don't like it? I do. I do like it. I do want to make one quick point before we get to the signing. Uh, Statistically, he's got real solid peripherals. The walk rate is low. He doesn't put guys on base without him making him earn it. The hard hit rate is low, so he doesn't give up hard contact. He doesn't walk guys. Two things you want in a starting pitcher. Interestingly enough, the ERA plus has been right at 100 the last couple seasons. ERA plus, of course, is league adjusted ERA. 100 is 
dead average. It means you are completely comparable to the average pitcher in the league. Uh, the more above 100 you go, the the better you are. And that's interesting to me. The peripherals say that, you know, that the, would be better necessarily, but the ERA plus, and that says something about the pitching environment, maybe that you can do those things well, but still be average by ERA plus. That's just something that stood out to me. I do like the signing. I love how it came about. We got that Ken Rosenthal tweet late at night. So the Cubs are, are pushing hard to sign Jameson Tyone and Rosenthal doesn't say that unless you know the deal is probably pretty close to getting done i like the signing i like how we found out about the signing i like when we found out about the signing uh yeah i'm for it it's good i think it's an interesting signing because jameson tyone you know former number two pick in the draft guy with a lot of uh you know upside and potential and a lot a lot of things put on him by the pittsburgh pirates as a guy you know he's had those injuries he's had two tommy john surgeries which is a pretty tough thing to come back from the last two years. He's pitched a ton, uh, thrown a lot of innings. So he has been successful, but he like changed his pitching style. I mean, he went from a two seamer guy in, in Pittsburgh to like a four seamer guy in, in New York. And I, I just think it's an interesting addition. The Cubs sound like, of course, I mean, they always say this, but it does sound like that he was the guy, the Cubs were really kind of targeting. And I, I think it's a solid mid middle of the rotation addition. He's not going to be an ace, he's, but he's a solid guy. He's going to give you innings, hopefully. And he's going to throw strikes. As Randall said, he doesn't walk anybody. Um, it's just, I think it'll be interesting. And the one nice thing is he is getting out of New York. It does seem like he got burned by home runs. And and while Wrigley on a, when it's blowing out, you know, the ball goes, doesn't blow out that often. So he should improve a lot on it, I believe on his home runs. So I like it, you know, they do need another starter though, but I think it's a good solid, you know, number two, number three person to put in that rotation. Yeah. Uh, also that bandbox ballpark in New York, you know, to your point yeah. about offense, it, it's, it's probably a big reason why Aaron judge uh, hit a couple more home runs this past year. I'll be honest. I was disappointed when this initially came through and then I had to sort of step back and say, Ronan evaluate this trade for what it is, not what it isn't. Meaning yes, the Cubs need an ACE. This is not an ace. This is not the guy that's going to be at the top of the rotation. The Cubs still need to find that. And I'm worried about whether or not they've got the payroll for that, whether or not there's players out there to do it, or if they're going to make a trade to try and bring that guy in. I'm very concerned about that. So taking that out of the equation, though, this is a solid guy, and he's an innings eater. He threw more innings last year, 40 more innings than the next highest pitcher on the Cubs, Marcus Stroman. So if he can go out next year and throw 170 innings for the Cubs – have that ERA, mid threes, high threes. He's going to be a very important part of this team, and he's going to help them win. But I wanted an ace, and that's not what this is. That's why my initial response was, I'm kind of disappointed in this. In four years? Hmm. Yeah, yeah that's lot. the thing. That's the thing about signing, you know, a, a guy who's going to slot in as your number two, number three. He's not your ace, but what he does allow you to do is he allows you to take those kind of fringe depth guys and they get pushed further further down yeah. the depth charge. Uh, depth chart, no depth charges in, in baseball, as far as I know, uh, unless the Drop Mariners the are involved. Right. Um, but, you know, putting Jameson Tyon as your number two, your number three guy, it means you're going to need fewer innings out of guys like Javier Assad and Adrian Sampson. It means you're going to have an easier time keeping uh, Keegan Thompson and Adbert Alzale in the bullpen as your your kind of multi-inning guys. It it gives you, it, it, it helps your depth because it takes your fringe depth guys. It pushes them further down the depth chart. It does a better job of allowing you to slot in guys where you feel like they're going to be uh, the most effective. So in that regard, I do like it. And it's not like they signed a number five guy. It's a guy who could be number two or number three in your rotation. So like you said, it's not an ace, but I do like what it does to the rotation. And I like that it increases 
depth. And the Cubs rotation is a little more depth than it is top heavy. I would rather have Jamison Tyone than Taiwan Walker, I think. And Taiwan Walker mm-hmm. signed for more money um with the with the Phillies. And I I, I liked I like the signing. Um, I agree with you, Ronan, that it's not the ace. We need we still need the top of the guy. I am also scared. I don't know where that guy's gonna come from because it doesn't sound like they're on Rodon, and, and I'm not really sure who else is out there to be that kind of guy. And it seems like if they're going to get that kind of guy, they probably will have to make a trade. Um, I know they are obviously interested in Senga, but it sounds like the Mets, who are spending like drunken sailors, are also still interested in, in Senga. So I am a little concerned with you there. I, they do need more starting pitching. I think that he is a good cog to have in yeah. the rotation. I don't – I think they need more, though, and – and part of me is like, you know, it's hard to judge the Cubs entire offseason and their whole offseason plan when it's just kind of bit by bit so far. Yeah. Like we have to see what happens to the whole thing. Like if they don't do more, then yes, this is a problem. But just because this is the first signing doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean that this is what it is. Like there's going to be other parts. Sometimes it just yeah. happens. You get the number two before you get the number one. Um, But I, I do like him. I think I just like the idea that. You know him coming from New York, as you said, that's a bandbox there. He's he's in the past he's had a good sinker, which the Cubs have been heavily relied upon in the past with a lot of their pitchers. He's not a strikeout guy. It doesn't seem like you know the Cubs still don't quite have that strikeout guy in the rotation. But so far, even after his second Tommy John, he's been a guy you can rely on to throw strikes and get you innings. And the Cubs need that in their rotation. And it, you know, it should be noted, this is a free agent sign. The Cubs have still not dipped into that that uh, vaunted farm system, their prospect pool, to use that currency to upgrade elsewhere, there's still very much the chance that they are able to swing a trade for a pitcher who slots in higher in that rotation. Uh, And that's, again, why the Cubs need to be the Cubs. You you can't just sign free agents. You can't just trade from the farm system. You need to do both. And the Cubs have put some money into the rotation, and they still have those chips in the farm system to potentially trade for the other pieces that they need. And one other thing, like, you also have to look to the future. Uh, Hendricks is probably not going to be back next year. He's got a team option. Stroman has a player option. Who knows if he's going to be back next year? So what is your rotation going into the next couple of years? You give Tyone a, a yeah. four-year deal. You have a guy you can plug in next year. And I imagine you're not giving him a four-year deal without some sort of idea of him coming in. And they probably have some ideas for him to try to kind of improve maybe a little bit uh, and get a few more whiffs, get a few more, uh, you know, the shape or, you know, the type of pitches he throws. So I, I, I not that I think he's going to come in and completely like transform into a, a higher level of starter, but I, I do think those things are kind of important. Like they, they're going to have question marks in the rotation next year. So it's nice to have a guy right now that you can plug in for 2024, even though we're all focused on 2023. Yeah. I, I think stability is what we're all sort of getting at here with him. And that has me thinking about Kyle Hendricks too. I think what we're going to get from Tyone next year was the like absolute best case scenario from a guy like Hendricks. I don't think there's going to be much from Hendricks next year, but I think like the best thing we could have expected from Hendricks next year is what we're actually going to get from Tyone. And I'm, I, I'm very pessimistic that Kyle Hendricks is going to contribute to the Cubs in a meaningful way next year. So you've got a guy in there. He's been around. He's been on some playoff teams. He eats up innings. It's less of a question mark than the big question mark that's Kyle Hendricks for next season. Yes, I agree with you. And like I said, like, you know, Tyler's got a team option for this year. So this is kind of a prove it year for Kyle Hendricks. Like, is he going to be a guy 
does he have a future kind of with this club or in me, even in major league baseball necessarily. So I, 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 yeah, I think there's still questions. I think you slot Tyone in ahead of Hendricks in your rotation. I don't think Hendricks is above him. And I, I, you know, as you said, he, he was been around, he's been on playoff teams. He's a guy, I think with these first two signings with Bellinger and Tyone, I think it shows, it also shows kind of a level of seriousness. Now, obviously we all want more, but I'm talking about for like other players on the market, you know, like if you're looking at the Cubs, you know, you're probably thinking, okay, they were kind of bad last year, whatever. They have all these holes, but okay. You have Cody Bellinger now, a former MVP. I think other players respect Cody Bellinger despite his struggles. I think other players respect going out and giving Jamison Tyone a four-year $68 million contract. So I think it shows a little bit of commitment to somebody else that, okay, maybe there's something there that we're going to try to go to this. Like if the Cubs are, they're trying, they're for real. I don't think it's the same as like, you know, just blowing off, you know, cause they're, they're not really competing. I think it shows something to other players on the market. Hey, Tom, Tom's banging the drum. Yeah. Right? That's Scott Boris. <laughs> hey, when Scott Boris is pro your owner spending, like that's a good sign, right? He was bitching about the Cubs the last few years about not spending. I'm now, only now the drum, referring the drum is being beat. I'm only referring to Tom Ricketts for the rest of his life and my life is Tom Tom from now on. I love I'm that Tom quote Trump. from Scott Boris. <laughs> I, I'm always surprised that Randall, we talked about before, that Randall is not a big who's such a big pun guy, not a big Boris pun guy. Yeah. I know it's it's curious, but it, it's still true. Like again, I respect Scott Boris. Uh, what he does for his clients, one of the best agents in the game. It, it's just when he they, they give him the microphone and he starts doing the, the stand-up routine, I just kind of tune out a little bit. I can't explain it. I am full of multitudes. I thought, too, you know, Randall's the big advocate for players. Who's a better advocate for players in baseball than Scott Boris? I'm not, I'm not talking against that. What he does for the players is good. He gets his clients the most possible money that's good for the labor, for the players. I'm just saying when he starts doing his stand-up routine, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other for me. I, I have a couple questions. One, do we think that Scott Boris farms out his jokes, his puns, or do you think he sits up and writes them himself? And Or, or that's basically my question. Or do you think he sits up and writes them himself? You know, I, I think he's probably got someone on staff for that. No. I think he's got like, no, you think you think no. they're, they're I think he's completely writing organic, himself. huh? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think that's something other than making boatloads of money that he takes the most pride in of anything yeah. that he does. At this point, you know, he's he's signed deals. He's impacted yeah. baseball. The puns, that's the lasting impression he can have on the sport. I think I think he sits up like the night before yeah. his day at the winter meetings or whatever. He's giving an interview and he's like, all right, he, he writes out a tight five or something of yeah. puns. You know, he eats up those media opportunities as well. Yeah. And I don't know if there's anybody at the winter meetings that gets more <laughs> press to show up when they talk than Scott Boris. It's amazing no, how none. an agent like that can command that much interest and, and, and fun, right? So many of these team owners are just miserable people, despite being billionaires that get to own baseball teams. He seems fun. He seems uh, like he enjoys what he does, which is making a ton of money. Yeah, we'd all enjoy what we do, making a ton of money without doing anything illegal. I think we'd all enjoy that. Well, but I don't think that these MLB owners enjoy what they do. That's the point that I'm making. I don't think <laughs> that Bob Nutting loves owning the Pirates other than the fact that it makes his, you know, uh, his wallet bigger. These guys, they, that's the thing about baseball owners. They seem miserable, so many of them. And whereas, like, I saw this uh, uh, the other day, football owners are, are like maniacs, right? And they, they are competitive. Baseball owners just seem like an angry group that just wants to keep what's theirs and everybody else stay out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it depends. I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, Philadelphia and, and New York and, and 
San Diego spend like you know crazy but that, yeah i agree with you everybody else is kind of like you know you got jared reinsdorf reinsdorf cracking that the that the white Sox don't win that much and he's making jokes about it um but you know when you uh, yeah i agree with you it's nobody else is going to come close to a guy like boris i mean we need a stable stars like boris has who's going to make a ton of commission obviously everybody wants to hear from scott boris and i i don't think anybody wants to hear really from all they want to hear from your owner is are you going to pay money yes or no no okay then screw you or yes Sure, great. <laughs> December 8 prediction. Jamison Tyone leads the Cubs in pitcher war next year. True or false? I'm going to go true on that one. Ooh. I hope it's false. I hope it's false. <laughs> I'm going false. I'm, I'm, they're going to figure something out here. I think he's going to be steady, rock solid in the middle of the rotation. But if he leads the way, Cubs probably aren't going to the postseason next year. Unless, I... unless something really comes together for him, and I'm not banking on that. I once again hope whoever leads them in pitcher war next year has yet to be acquired. I like that. I like that. Well, that leads into where do you go from here? Uh, <clears throat> other couple of moves that impact the Cubs here. Trey Turner, mega deal with the Phillies, 11 years, $300 million, plus a full no-trade clause. Shortly after that, Xander Bogart, San Diego, 11 years, $280 million, no-trade clause. There are four big-name shortstops. The whole story the last couple of weeks, the Cubs need to go and get one of them. Two of them are off the table, and I think both of those deals, maybe more so Bogarts than Turner, exceeded our expectations. I completely did not have Bogarts getting 11-280. And apparently that, that deal is – there's such a gap between what the Padres gave him and what the Red Sox were offering him that Bogarts <laughs> felt like he had no choice – but to take that deal, as one of Boston's reporters put it, uh, he gave Boston a chance to come closer to that, and they just could not match the years. He felt like he had no choice but to take the deal from the Padres. Just an insane number of years for a, a pretty good shortstop, but we definitely did not have him getting uh, 11 years, and that just blew me away. Yeah, it seems kind of like MLB teams are kind of taking a page out of uh... – <clears throat> the old hockey kind of contracts, like when they were trying to get around the salary cap, they used to give like 15 year contracts, like Marion host got like a 12 year contract. And now it's like you extend that, that years out and the, the average annual value goes lower and it kind of fits better into the luxury tax. But that's just, it was just a crazy deal. Nobody expected Bogarts to everything like kind of short of 200 million and he got almost 300 million. Um, if you believe Gordon Whitmire, uh, and I don't know whether you should or shouldn't. I mean, he's saying a lot of things that are against the grain, kind of. But he's being positive on the Cubs when he's usually not. He said he kind of said the, the Bogarts wasn't really kind of like a priority for the Cubs. There was a guy he was, he was kicking the tires on, and you know there was that report that they met with him ten days before uh, the winter meeting. So that I don't know if that means like he kind of you know, was he the kind of the guy? It seemed like Trey Turner always wanted to go to Philadelphia. His wife's from the area. He just wanted to be on the East coast. So yeah, I think you have to look at Correa and, and Swanson. They have to land one of them. They have to land yeah, one of them. You have that, to land one of them. That's an issue. In my opinion, and I know you guys don't disagree with me, is that there is absolutely zero reason why the Cubs should not be the top bidder on Carlos Correa. I don't care yep. what anybody else is offering. It seems like it's the Giants and the Twins, really, and it seems like the Giants are the ones with the money. There's no reason the Giants should be outspending the Cubs. I mean, I know None. they got the money, but this is a deal you have to get done. Jed yep. talks about intelligent spending. It's intelligent spending to spend on Carlos Correa for a, you know 28 years old, put him in your lineup. That is intelligent spending. It would have been more intelligent, in my opinion, to do it last year. You would have gotten him cheaper. 
he was there. He was 27 years old. I didn't understand why at the time it didn't it didn't make sense to me why they were kind of trying to play games with him. They blamed his change of or, owner uh, agents to Boris, whatever. But now you have it there. He's going to cost more money, but there's no reason. Unfortunately, I do think they're going to end up with Swanson. I just feel that, and I like Danzy Swanson a lot. But Carlos Correa, there's no reason not to spend up none, and not in my opinion. I can't find it. Well, I, I think the San Francisco Giants are sitting there going, well, we did everything we could to bring in Aaron Judge. We were so close. We missed out on that. So let's just dump the bucket out on Cray. I think that's the threat, right? But the Cubs have to do this. You've got to find a way to bring in Cray, especially at this point. It changes everything if you bring him in. And yeah, last couple of years might not be pretty. I don't care about that right now. I care about you bring in Carlos Correa. And last time we recorded, I was saying, ah, the Astros, man, the cheating scandal. Ugh, you have to do this now. And the rig threat, though, is going to be San Francisco, who is embarrassed missing out on Judge because it seemed like that was a very close miss for them. Uh, yeah. I, and to me, it's like, first of all, one thing to factor in is California, San Francisco, they do have an higher income tax than, than Illinois and Chicago. I mean, not that Chicago's low, but it is a, that does play in. Like, uh, you know, even if they offer a little bit less, it could be more than what he's actually making in California. But you got to get it done. I know they shouldn't really. I mean, they should always care what their fans think. I agree. And they, but they shouldn't, but like, they should go out and make what they think is the best moves, regardless of what their fans think. But, there, I mean, if I was Tom Ricketts and I'm supposedly opening up my wallet, yeah, I'm just like, there will be a fan revolt if they don't do this. Like, that's going to be a serious thing. You have to get this done. You have to get it. And I don't see they have the money. There's a ton of money coming off the books. Even if you pop the luxury tax this year, next year there's a ton of money coming off the books. They'll probably be back under it. And you have Carlos Correa for the foreseeable future. I, I just – they have to do it. And, you know, they got their assistant GM from Houston, so maybe there's a connection there. You know, you mentioned you think they're going to get Dansby. And obviously Dansby is going to be cheaper than Carlos Correa. But given these other two deals, what's Dansby Swanson looking at here? Is he seriously looking at an 11-year deal? And if you're Tom Ricketts or Jed Hoyer at that point, do you go, do we really want to go 11 years with Dansby? Or do we just say, screw it, let's go 12 or whatever it's going to take to bring in Correa, which is, which is clearly the cream of the crop here of the available shortstops. I think at that point, just dump the bucket and get Correa. If you're willing to overspend on Dansby, you should be willing to overspend by a lot more and get Correa. It's not like they're comparable and you can say, well, you know, we can get 90% of the shortstop for 80% of the price by signing Dansby Swanson. Carlos Correa is a markedly better player and it's not close. And you're going to need to overpay. You're going to need to quote unquote, go outside your comfort zone into the many, many hundreds of millions of dollars to get Carlos Correa. And that's perfectly fine. You are the Chicago Cubs. You have a need at the position. A premium player is available at the position. Spend the money that you're making on turning Wrigleyville into what you're turning Wrigleyville into. Get the best player on the market at the position of need. Just go out and do it. Here's, here's the thing that scares me. And it's kind of what you hit on, Randall. Um, with Jed Hoyer and like I'm a big Jed Hoyer fan I like him a lot they always talk about <clears throat> how disciplined Jed Hoyer is which is a good quality and I think he was a moderating force on Theo I think Theo was the one that was kind of gung-ho let's go make this move let's go this and Jed was always kind of like let's stay and when you have that kind of combination it works right I'm afraid currently right now that Jed being a guy I hope there's guys like he has smart guys surrounding him but I don't 
I hope there's like other voices that are not just being like, they're all like, you know, you have to get out of your comfort zone in order to sign an elite free agent. You have, you're going to have to make a deal that is not, it's not what you think it's going to be where it's, you know, it can't be the value you want it to be. You can't sign elite free agent. Like you will always overpay for an elite free agent. That's just a fact because they all will almost always take the highest offer. Sometimes they won't, but they will almost always, so it'll always be an overpay. And, but you have to do it to win. You have to do it to get the best players on your team. So you have to feel that. And I just, I'm scared that Jed is not quite the guy to do that. I think he wants to do things in a smart way and find the best value. And I'm just afraid that he doesn't really have any guys around him, but I don't know. Cause like, we never really hear from Carter Hawkins. We never hear from the assistant GM. So I don't really know where they said, I mean, Carter Hawkins came from Cleveland, not really known for spending splurging on free agency. So I, that's what scares me. And that's why I feel like they're kind of resigned to just taking Dan's because he, he fits their value better. He fits what they're looking for. You know, we don't want to spend that much money on Korea, but to me, uh, prove me wrong. I, I, yeah. I will love to see it. I think it makes so much sense to just get Correa on the team. I don't – to me, that's intelligent spending. It is. Well, prediction time. Jeremy, you said this, but I'll put you on the record here one more time. Uh, again, this is December 8th. A lot can change in the hour after we're done recording tonight. Who is the shortstop for the Cubs next year? Well, I have a uh, – I have some money riding on whether it be Carlos Correa. I did do a free bet earlier this year put on Korea to the Cubs, but I think I'm going to get screwed on that. I do think it's going to be Dansby Swanson, who I like. I love a ton. I think Dansby Swanson's a good player. Loved them all back to Vanderbilt, but it will be disappointing. I think I, I just, and I think Korea is going to take a little bit longer too. I think, you know, with the Giants jumping in, they might leak it the next week. If they can get Dansby done, they might just try to get him done. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my concern to whatever extent I am concerned about this is that Correa is just going to be such a mega deal with so many different uh, 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 threads to that tapestry that there's going to come a point at which the Cubs say, look, we either have to go with the sure thing Dansby now. He's ready to sign. We've got the contract ready for him. We either go with the sure thing Dans with Dansby now and get kind of our number four guy, or we take the risk that we don't get Correa, and by that point, Dansby signs somewhere else, and you've missed out on all four shortstops. That's my fear is that it's going to come to that, where they have to pick either the lesser sure thing, or they have to gamble on the decreasing odds of the better player, and that's my concern. Jeremy, I am with you. I would love for it to be Correa, but I do think that if you made me pick who I thought was more likely, I am trending that they probably do end up with Dansby at this point. Uh, Much to my, I don't want to say chagrin, disappointment is probably uh, more apt. Well, I'll be the optimist. Carlos Correa, Chicago Cubs shortstop next year. Um, They leaked so many stories during the winter meetings from Kaplan and a whole bunch of other reporters about Cubs are opening up the coffers here. Jed's got the green light to spend money. This makes all of the sense in the world. And a little drama here as this plays out. I do think this would have happened or would have been more likely to happen if Judge goes to San Francisco. But he stays in New York. San Francisco still has money to spend. But the Cubs are going to find a way to pull this out. And with Bellinger and Tyone and Correa, you've got a really good set of additions to make next year much more competitive. It's the butterfly effect. Aaron Judge does not go to San Francisco. San Francisco still has tons of money to spend, and they try and throw it at Correa. The pieces, Ronan, it's a tapestry. It's a puzzle. And they're all moving in different directions. And sometimes things get set on fire by arson. Well, here, here, here's where you could be right and wrong. 
in the fact of, you know, if we're talking about next year's shortstop, maybe it is Dansby Swanson with Carlos Correa playing third. Oh, well, going oh, all in. How here. about that? Wow. That sounds uh, even more fun, but that's, uh, <laughs> let's see. Come on, Tom, Tom, spend the money. Do it. Spend Make the it money, Tom, here. Tom. Finally beat. I've got one other point on the shortstops that I wanted to bring up, and it's just any time I see major league owners trying and spending some of the money that they've got lots and lots of, I want to applaud it. And with that in mind, I really like what the Phillies and Padres have done here. The Phillies win the pennant last year. They go out. They address their starting rotation, getting one of the best available starting pitchers in Walker and one of the best shortstops in Trey Turner. They're going for it. The Padres, like this contract is obviously not going to end well for the Padres. I don't think he's worth it. I think it's going to get ugly. But for the next three, four years, he makes the Padres better. And what they have done with already having a nice sort of stable of guys there, Tatis and Machado, they've gone out, they've gotten Juan Soto. They've gone out, they've gotten you Darvish. They've gone out, they've gotten Xander Bogarts. Even the trade for Josh Hader last year. Like, the Padres are trying to win a damn World Series. So kudos to you for doing it. I'm always ripping on the Rays, who never go for the kill. The Phillies and the Padres going for the kill right now, and the sport would be better if more owners acted this way and did it. More teams would be competitive. The players would be happier. I love that these teams are, as I said, going for the kill. And don't forget the the scuttlebutt around the San Diego water coolers that the Padres tried to jump in at the last second and entice Aaron Judge to come out there. They're, they are trying. They are willing to give money. They were they were real big on Trey Turner. They were very disappointed when he went to Phil, to Philadelphia. They are trying to spend a lot of money on high on visible big name high value players, and they are trying to put enough of those together to to get themselves to a World Series. And again, you'd like to see more teams, more owners doing that. Just going out there, spend spend those hundreds of millions. I don't think the Padres have ever been closer. And yes, I saw them in the World Series back in 1998. They are doing the things that a team should do to try and actually win a title. And who cares what Xander Bogart's contract looks like eight years from now or nine years from now. If they win one World Series, even a pennant, it's all totally worth it. Yeah, I mean, also the taboo year of 1984. But uh, I agree with you. And, and I, don't, I don't acknowledge 1984. 1984. <laughs> okay, uh, here's what I'm going to say. They're doing what the Cubs should have done in the 2018 offseason before 2019 yep. when Bryce Harper was a free agent. There was no reason at that time not to sign Bryce Harper, not to push the chips in, add to what you have to do, not to rely on, oh, we have the number two payroll already or we're already here. Keep pushing. You When yep. you have that window, that window is sacred. You need to push. You need to make that move to keep going. The Padres recognize it. The Phillies are recognizing the Mets are going just crazy right now. They're having the highest payroll in Major League Baseball history. Their Mets, their pay current payroll like is like two times the size of the Cubs right now. Now, I don't expect that to be how it ends up. But currently, as it is right now, it's crazy. And so these are the teams that are kind of going out there and doing it. And unfortunately, they're in the National League. Um and the Cubs, when they get to that point, when they have that competitive team, they need to put themselves in that that period. They kind of did it from 2015 to 2018, but something happened in 2019. They just shut the, yeah. it just got shut off for some reason, and it's unfortunate. And I, you know, I I agree with you. I applaud the Padres ownership, uh, the Seidler, who you know, former Dodgers actually, um, the the grandsons of Walter O'Malley, the former Dodgers owner owner. And yeah, they're going out there and they're doing it. And, you know, they're going to put Tatis in the outfield. Yeah. I think it's great. 
going out, going for the kill. I had dinner last week with a Baltimore Orioles fan. How about wow. that, Randall? Yeah, very excited. And we had a nice conversation about Brandon Hyde, among some of the other things there. But he said to me, he said, wouldn't it be so much better if Major League Baseball had a salary cap? And I said, no, God, no. no. God he no. goes, you know, how are the Kansas City Royals and the Baltimore Orioles expected to compete when these teams? I said, these owners should spend some money. Go out and spend money and try to win. There's nothing preventing Pittsburgh or Kansas City or Tampa Bay or Baltimore from competing with these other teams. These owners are making buckets and buckets and buckets of money. So go out and spend it. And he was a little taken aback. He thought he's also got a soft spot for the Rockies living out here in Denver. And he's like, how can they keep up with the Dodgers? Hey, Dick Monfort. Spend some money intelligently. Take your son out of the most important job in your in your your front office overseeing your farm team. Try and actually win games and spend money. So a nice little disagreement. Also want to note really quickly, he was a North Carolina is a North Carolina fan. We got dinner for the Indiana North Carolina game. So ah. I was very satisfied with the outcome of that and uh, disagreed though on a salary cap and ball. The the same Rockies who signed Chris Bryant to a huge contract last offseason. Any one of these teams could spend and at least put up the cash for a decent free agent. And like you said, these ownership groups, they just choose not to. There was a time, and I remember it clearly, when the Baltimore Orioles had like the highest payroll yep. in baseball and people were mad at Peter Angelos for spending so much money. And he, and you know, he, I remember him going out and signing Albert Bell. I remember him going out and signing a lot of big time players. And, you know, kind of in the late 90s when the Baltimore Orioles were a time, the Baltimore Orioles can spend and they have a very good, promising young team they probably should be spending to add to that promising young team. Well, where does this put the Cubs right now? We've talked a little bit about the starting rotation. We certainly talked about shortstop. There are other needs for the Cubs going into next year. First base, still a bit of a question mark, even with Bellinger and some optimism with Mervis. Catcher, right? You're hearing stories about Sean Murphy maybe coming from Oakland, but the A's have a very big asking price for one of the great catchers in all the baseball right now. What what do you do next? Again, keeping the shortstop out of the equation, what else are the Cubs realistically doing here with some of these other needs? It does seem like they are intent on adding a catcher who, who has some bat to him. Danny Jansen, another name uh, comes up from Toronto. Um, I, I would be surprised personally if they use that prospect currency on a catcher. I think it's a lot easier to just give Christian Vasquez uh, a free agent contract and he can do that. And you keep your prospect currency drive to, to trade for a pitcher. Um, it would surprise me a little bit if they went, took those prospects and traded them for a catcher, especially to the athletics. who, like you said, are going to have a huge asking price in prospects for their, their really good hitting all around catcher. That would surprise me personally. They are going to add a catcher. I just would be surprised if they traded for one versus signing one in free agency. I think they're definitely going to add a catcher. I think they value kind of going back to kind of the catcher defense, controlling the the pitching staff, some pitch framing. Uh, Sean Murphy is that guy. Like he would be a perfect fit. As, as you mentioned, Oakland is going to have an asking price, but the Cubs can match that asking price. So I do think they'll be involved with the Sean Murphy I'm not sure if they land him. I think, as Randall did say, Christian Vasquez is a definitely a great option. There's some teams after him. I think I could see either of those guys in. And, you know, for third base, I'm 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 looking, like I mentioned before, as another Dodger. I think, like, a Justin Turner could kind of kind of come in, fit in there. Uh, I think he would be Big a red. fine option. Big red at third base. You know, we could get over the, the home runs in the playoffs. 
but I think he would be a fine option. And then I was kind of looking also at first base, like maybe another NL West guy, maybe a Brandon Bell who's coming off the user tree, had a poor season last year, but historically has been a pretty good player. So I do think there's kind of options to fit these positions that like, you know, they're not going to be expensive, super expensive, and they're probably not going to be long-term options, but they can be options that like, hey, maybe there's upside to them and competitive for next year. As long as you de-louse Justin Turner before allowing him into Wrigley. I once famously shouted at Justin Turner during a game at Wrigley. I shouted at him, you look like you smell bad. And the entire section laughed. So I would like that on the record. Just de-louse him. Clean him off before you let him into Wrigley. Justin Turner will be a Cub next year. And you can apologize to him for that comment. Uh, No, no. I apologize for nothing. I apologize for nothing. (laughs) Uh, A lot of this is in the balance with obviously what happens at shortstop. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea of Sean Murphy as a cub. I just don't know if they're going to give up what will be needed. I, I thought I saw the asking price for St. Louis before they went and got Wilson was two everyday players and a top hundred prospect. That, I mean, that's two everyday major leaguers. Lars Newbar was one of them. Uh, Donovan was the other one, I think. And then uh, another prospect from St. Louis. That's a pretty big ask. Now Murphy has a couple of years of control still. So he might be the most valuable trade chip right now across major league baseball. And at least for St. Louis, it was too much to ask. I would have burned it all to the ground. If the Cardinals had gotten Sean Murphy for Lars Newtbar and Brandon Donovan and a prospect, I would have burned it to the ground. That's gold Glover. Yeah. You know what? Call it what you want. I would have burned everything down. If the Cardinals had gotten a really good player for Lars Newtbar, we should all be very happy that did not happen because I absolutely would have burned everything to the ground. But I do think Sean Murphy would be a good ad and he would also be a good ad for our lady friends because he had that kind of little clip that's been going viral on, uh, on Twitter with that little booty call with the off of the, the pitch off the uh, old booty that uh, has it, it put it out there. So I uh, go Google that one. Um, Jeremy, but, Jeremy yeah. has all the angles covered, including oh, the yeah. back angles. Sean Murphy, but I'm a fan of Sean Murphy. I think he'd be a good fit. I think, I think he would be a good fit with the catcher. I, I like the direction that they're kind of trying to go with catcher. It's kind of back to kind of how they were when they won the world series. And when they in 2015, it seems like they're kind of more defensive focused um, a little bit. And but yeah, I think, you know, the Cardinals are now out of the Sean Murray sweepstakes. So that does take a competitor away. So maybe the asking price does come down a little bit because there's less teams uh, involved. But I, you know, a lot, as you said, a lot's going to come down to what happens with shortstop. If they do end up, let's say, with Dansby Swanson, they need to find more offense in places. Like they're going to have a very good defensive team. Uh, especially up the middle, Horner, Swanson, Bellinger up the middle. That's going to be a very good defensive team if they if that does happen. But you need more offense. You need to put guys that are more offense focused in, in third base, first base, possibly DH. We're not sure what they have. And I mean, they still have you know wisdom can come in off around, give you some homers. Probably not going to be a starter, but maybe rotating a little bit. Christopher Morell will give you some time. Who knows what's going on with Nick Madrigal? But you need to add offense if if yeah. if it's Swanson. Well, a couple of other transaction things that impacted the Cubs here. Rule 5 draft, uh, the main Rule 5 draft, and the AAA Rule 5 draft. Uh, One note here, the Cubs lost Chris Clark, a fourth-round draft pick from 2019. He goes to the Mariners organization, a pitcher who topped out in Tennessee this last year. But here's the important nugget. The Cubs hung on to Cam Sanders. And, boy, huge sigh of relief for me. I thought he was gone, and he's coming back. Your dream scenario remains intact. Jason Hayward is out of the organization. His number 22 jersey uh, is now unworn. Your dream scenario 
of Cam Sanders coming up to the Cubs and taking number 22 and taking the mound at Wrigley, Ronan, it's in play. The dream scenario is in play. I, I was very champion scared. if that happens. Yes, I was very scared, especially when like the day before the Rule 5 draft, Baseball America kind of keeps a running kind of tab of guys that, you know, that are Rule 5 eligible that they're kind of always hearing. They put together a process. So they always have like, you know, they keep updating it. And the like, day before the draft, Cam Sanders' name found himself on Baseball America's like cheat list of all their players that, you know, give a little scouting report out. And I was like, oh, no, that means somebody's talking about Cam Sanders. He's going to be drafted. I was very scared and I was very happy that that yeah. did not come to fruition. I did, you know, I, Chris Clark, I always, you know, USC guy. I, it's possible he he's returned. You know, I don't know if he's going to really stick it out with Seattle next year. Never been above Tennessee, as you said. He's got to sp- spend the whole year with the Mariners. But, um, yeah, I was very happy that a guy who th- comes out, throws 100 out of the bullpen, he's sticking with the Cubs. And that's our boy yeah. Cam. Our boy I can't wait. I can't wait to see him at Wrigley Field next year. Uh, Cubs did lose a couple of guys in the minor league portion of the Rule 5. A couple of pitchers to the Houston Astros, Brian King and Luis Rodriguez. They picked up three players as well. A pitcher from the Mariners, a pitcher from the Padres, and an outfielder from the Phillies. But it's that pitcher from the Padres, which sort of has a local connection here. Nick Birdie out of Downers Grove with a chance now in the Cubs system. Yeah, and a four... He- pitching the majors before he's he's already been up there his brother zach birdie was the first round pick of the white Sox a couple years ago he had some arm injuries both of them went to louisville so yeah it's it's you know you get a kid from downers grove a local kid who's pitching the majors he's, he hasn't really pitched in a couple of years but i'm thinking if the cubs are taking him they have an idea for you know there's some hope there they're not going to just they're not going to just draft a guy just because you know he's a local guy <laughs> sure you know i was in the town of hinsdale right next door to downers grove ah the oasis uh, as- that's right. The famed Hinsdale Oasis. I was in Hinsdale as that uh, pick came down the wire. And let me tell you, the town was buzzing. People were hanging out of their cars, honking wow. their horns, opening the windows, saying, Nick Birdie has come home. So clearly in that regard, it was a good pick by the Cubs. Randall, mm-hmm. a true true question here for you. Have you ever been in a car while a big sports event happened? and people in the vehicles around you actually reacted, and you sort of saw it and were in that moment with someone in another car? I have never been in a car. I have been um, outside of a building in view of a busy street, as that has happened, uh, specifically as uh, the Blackhawks won game one of the Stanley Cup in 2015. Yes, in 2015, um, I was uh, out on my balcony as they won game one and some cars drove by and started honking. I have never been in a car while something like that has happened in part because if there's something like that happening, I'm probably home watching it more so than in my car. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever been in a car when it's happened, but I've definitely been around uh, areas where the, the, the cheers have gone up. I've heard the cheers. I've been outside of Wrigley when major moments have happened where I'm watching it on the bar or something like that. And I see, I hear the cheer from Wrigley and I'm like, oh, something good's about to happen. Oh, you spoil <laughs> it for the people around you. Come on. I got I a good do. one. I, I have that problem. I got a really good one. Um, I was uh, driving back from, I was on a road that Randall was on this week for a job. So a little bit of a hint there. I was driving back and a historic moment happened in the Chicago White Sox history I happened to be listening to the game and the car in front of me, which had a White Sox bumper sticker, started honking and swerving a little bit. Any guesses what that moment was? 
Uh, I'm going to guess the uh, White Sox World Series victory. No, 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 no. no, no God, no. 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 Okay, I was God. in Indiana in October of 2005. Oh, October 2005. No, no, no. I'm saying to Randall that when the White Sox won the World Series, I was, oh. I was not I was not on a road that you were just on this week, Randall, is what I'm saying. I was very much in Illinois, and uh, I got a couple more hints on that front, but this is a White Sox moment. Was it last... during the was it during the blackout game? The the no, uh, the no, one. Okay, no, no, no. More, way way off talking, here. We're talking way more recent. That was that. my thought too, but that was when you were would have been in Indiana, so I I that was wrong. Uh, I'm gonna guess. I I feel like, oh, I I'm gonna guess Mark Burley's perfect game. Two words, folks. Philip Umber. Philip Umber's mm-hmm. perfect game. I yes. a perfect game was in there. Yeah, and, and what, so uh, what road were you on? Well, I was coming back from uh, normal Illinois. I yes, you were on you were on fifty five probably, where I where I spent what felt like a whole week earlier this earlier one day this week. I had it was just before I had started grad school, and I went down as a fill in broadcaster for Illinois State baseball game that day. I think it was like almost graduation day. There's a reason why the primary broadcaster couldn't be there, and I was being hired for the next season, so they brought me in to work that game. So I was driving back, and the reason why the timing worked out is they were in Seattle. So it was a later in the afternoon when that game was coming to a close. I put it on. I recognized it was a perfect game in the making here. And that was the moment. But the car in front of me, I saw the White Sox bumper sticker. We're both listening to the Sox call, which back then would have been what, AM 1000, I think was Mm -hmm. the Sox home in about 2012. And I heard it. I went, holy crap, a perfect game. Philip Umber, of all guys with a perfect game, he's swerving. And, you know, it's a two-lane highway, I think, at that point. It was uh, a notable moment from this Cubs fan to that Sox fan that we were both, despite being in different cars in the same moment there. I actually saw, and it's so crazy that Philip Umber has a perfect game. Cause I actually saw Philip Umber pitch in college at Rice university during the college World series where he was a part of like one of the greatest college pitching staffs of all time. And none of them all like first round draft picks and none of them did anything. Jeff Nyman, Philip Bumper, or I guess Philip Bumper had a perfect game. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> and then Wade Townshend, and they all, you know, Wayne Graham, their manager, just like tore their arms to shreds because they all had arm injuries. But you know, Philip Bumper only had like what, like thirty starts in his career, and one of them was a perfect game. It's crazy yeah. in Seattle. And I shared that moment probably just side. You were in Chinoa. I was. I was yeah. in Chinoa. Yeah. That's about where I was. I think maybe when that yeah. happened. So yeah. it all comes <laughs> full circle. It all comes full circle here. Um, there are a lot of transactions that happened in baseball over the last week. We won't get to all of them, but we got to start here. Unfortunately, Randall's favorite city, St. Louis, where World Series hero Wilson Contreras gets a five-year, eighty-seven million dollar deal. Oh, come on, guys. We've seen some Cubs go to St. Louis. Dexter was a tough one. Terrio was more of an asshole about the whole thing. This sucks. Like, a good for Wilson, right? Wilson, I'm so happy he got paid. I'm so happy he is getting the respect and the contract that, you know, he's earned with all his success in Chicago, but anywhere but St. Louis. This, this is a bum, bummer deal here for this Cubs fan. I'm happy for Wilson that he got paid. He deserves every penny of that. Everything else about this fucking sucks. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. Uh, it's not going to go well there. I'm going to say it right now. Mm. It's going to end up like Fowler did where he goes down there. He finds that the so-called BFIB are more fitting of perhaps four other letters. Uh, I don't think he plays (laughs) out that full contract there. I'm going to be honest. I think he finds a way out of St. Louis before that five years is up. It's, it's terrible. I hate it. I'm happy for Wilson. Wilson deserves the best of everything. Um, I, I just, I hate it. 
I hate it with a fiery burning passion. They're probably going to introduce him at the press conference at some point the next week. We're going to be flooded with photos of Wilson donning the birds on the bat with the red hat. And it, it, it yeah, I, I don't like it. I have nothing good to say about this other than good for Wilson getting his money. The heir yeah. apparent, Randall, the heir apparent to Yachty is Wilson Contreras. How about yeah, that? You know what? You know what? The Cardinals fans, they are all going to complain that Wilson is not as good as Yachty because they're all too mule stupid to know that he's better than Yachty. It's not going to go well there, Wilson. There's still time to back out of this. Oh, oh man. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it sucks. I, I'm happy for, I'm happy for Wilson. He got paid. It absolutely sucks. He went to the Cardinals. I was rooting hard for the Astros. I really was hoping he'd go to Houston. Don't want to see him in St. Louis. I mean, we all they don't want him. Nope. I know <laughs> we all knew it was, we all knew it was coming that Wilson was going to be gone. It's unfortunate that, that's where he ended up going. And hey, Quintana, uh, John Lester, they they pitched pretty well in, in St. Louis. So who knows about Wilson? Um, I've, you know, he put out that Players Tribune piece today, and he was talking about how he always admired the Cardinals from the other side. And that was that was kind Christ. of a tough read um, yeah. there. But uh, yeah, you know, you just move on, I guess. You know, I was happy with Javi going to to Detroit felt fine. Chris Bryant, Colorado, okay, whatever. They're they're out of the way. They're not going to bother the Cubs. Yeah. They're they're, I mean, they're they're out. They're off out in the distance. I was Wilson hoping to Rizzo Cardinals. would go somewhere else this offseason. I didn't want him to like build a New York legacy. I, I was hoping right. he would move on. Yeah. But uh, Wilson in St. Louis, it's it's like Dexter. You know, Dexter spent what four or five years, four years in St. Louis. That's more more than he was a Cub. So uh, Wilson's going to have you know five years possibly in St. Louis. That's going to compete with this seven yeah, years Dex, in Chicago. Dex ain't win no that's, rings uh, in St. Louis. That, you know, the interesting thing about that quote about admiring St. Louis and it's PR. Right. I'm not taking yeah, it. He I mean, didn't write it as agent no, or something. Wrote it, right? right. But it's like, think of Wilson's timeline with the Cubs. He comes up in 2016. He gets the world series championship. He's a part of multiple division championships and the wild card team. It's not like our experience with Cubs Cardinals where for the most of our life, the Cardinals have been better and more competitive and consistent. The time that he's been in the major leagues, the Cubs have outperformed St. Louis. They, they've been like, you know what I mean? Like it's PR. It's just interesting that, that is the angle given his timeline in Chicago was better on the North side than what's happened overall in St. Louis. He admired them while looking down on them is, yeah. is, is a good way to put it. What this also is interesting with him going to St. Louis is what does this mean for the Cardinals moving forward? Because again, with Yachty moving on the last 15, 20 years, 2004, certainly the last 10 Yachty years, Molina's first year as but, he started catcher for the Cardinals. The Cardinals have sort of prided themselves on a defensive first catcher, a guy who's a good uh, framer, a guy who calls good games, has a good reputation with the starting rotation. Guy that's who can say an, whatever he wants to the umpires without getting in trouble for it. But that's mm-hmm. been an anchor of the Cardinals for like the last 15 years. And now they're getting a guy. The only reason he's not back in Chicago is the Cubs don't think he's that guy. They don't think he's very good defensively. They don't think he's good at framing. And they don't particularly like the way that he calls games. This is a big 180 for the Cardinals. So either St. Louis thinks they can fix it or make it better based off the success they've had with Yachty, or this is a fundamental change with the Cubs' biggest rival. That, that is going to be a very compelling part of this story for the next five years. Yeah, and and that's what I thought as well. It's like it's why I, I always thought that the Cardinals were going to be one of the Cubs' kind of competitors on Christian Vasquez because I thought that's kind of what the Cardinals value, and I thought that's what the Cubs were going to start to value. So I was surprised that Wilson was their guy that they ended up, you know, just valuing it. And for me, like I wouldn't mind Wilson coming back, but I, I personally, I was thinking like, you know, maybe he 
time to start transitioning Wilson to first base. He he DH'd 40 times last year. Like I so I thought that was kind of Wilson's future. But now we see, you know, the Cardinals, it's gonna be Wilson uh behind the plate. And and the one thing he does do is he backpicks. He he backpicked more like over the last couple of years than number two and number three combined. So like we'll see that. I am curious to see how the Jack Flaherty's of the world, the Adam Wainwrights, you know, all the pitchers that the Cardinals have, how they handle Wilson behind the catch, yeah, uh behind the plate. Because Wilson's always moving so much. Like he's not very Yachty was quiet, you know. He he threw to him, he didn't really move. He you know, he throw a couple guys out at second or whatever. But like Wilson's like he stabs at the ball, he'll get up, he'll throw it, he'll lose you strikes so i'm curious how how the pitching staff will handle it that's a good point that's a good point i but i think that's really the the story in here is this is a big shift for st louis and anytime you're moving on from yachty it's going to be a big deal uh, but a bummer it's got to be wilson Contreras going to st louis uh, another world series heroes landed with a new team how about this jason hayward to the Dodgers, he gets a minor league deal. So in a weird backwards way, this isn't really how it works. The Cubs traded Jason Hayward for Cody Bellinger, at least in terms of roster, right? But good for Jay Hay. He's got another shot, and he's going to a team that just wins and wins. Yeah, and if anybody can figure out Jason Hayward, you would think it'd be the Dodgers, right? And he's back with Freddie Freeman tweet out a cool pic of them for playing for the Merle Beach Pelicans uh, today. He's back with Freddie Freeman, you know, Braves they were together. Um, and so, Hey, you know, uh, good for Jason. I hope, I hope he succeeds. I'm rooting for him to succeed with the Dodgers. I want him to succeed. Uh, I'm skeptical, you know, whatever that he will succeed, but you know, it's the final year the Cubs are paying him. They're paying him. He'll be off the books next year. That's more money. The Cubs have off the books, more reason to spend Cubs, uh, this year. So, uh, but I'm glad for him. I'm glad he's going to a good organization. No, yeah, nothing bad to say about Jason Hayward. Again, him going to the Dodgers, assuming he makes that roster. He's off on the other coast. He's not going to come back to haunt you too much. Um, yeah, and, you know, the Dodgers, an organization, they've had a lot of success pulling guys off the, the scrap heap a little bit. Guys, minor league contracts, guys on uh, low-end major league contracts. They clearly see something that's worth checking out in the spring. And, you know, between him and Bellinger, two guys who, like you said, swapped spots, and they're both hoping that changes of scenery will um, uh, revitalize their careers. Let's look at some of the other moves here over the last week to 10 days or so. You guys have anything on Judge to the Yankees? We touched on it a little bit. Anything else to add there? Big deal, nine years, 360. I don't think there was any way Judge was ever leaving the Yankees. I'm sure the Giants and the Padres put up a lot of money. I just don't think there was any way that the so-called captain, he just broke the single-season American home run, home run record. I don't think there was ever any way he was leaving the Yankees. I think um, he was enjoying free agency, but I don't think there was any way he was going to sign anywhere else. I, I was, yeah, I was surprised when... Um... You know, I, we all knew it seemed like the, the just from all the rumors that the Giants were making a big push for Judge. And so, like, they were serious about it. Um, but I I thought, you know, I just never thought, like, the Yankees could be outspent for their own player. It always seems so yeah. crazy. Like, their own guy that was so much a focus of the, and the fabric of the team. Like, they've been outspent for other players that they've tried to lure in the past. Maybe not everybody wants to go to New York. But their own guy, their own... That was just that just seemed crazy to me that they could be outspent for him. But yeah, nine years, three hundred sixty million dollars. That's a contract for a guy who was a big dude. He hasn't always been healthy. He had that monster year last year. I mean, think about it. he turned down seven years, two hundred thirteen million last year, like before yep. opening day. He turned it down. He got he got paid. But I will yep, say good for him. 
good for John Heyman and for, for giving us all something to laugh at. And he did. We all had, we all enjoyed that moment on Twitter. Everybody did. Arson judge will never die. And Coke Hamels will never die. <laughs> and I, I, I loved it. And, you know, not only is he factually incorrect, on the actual substance of the tweet where he appeared headed to the Giants, he got the name wrong. I wouldn't, you got to leave that tweet up, man. You can't, but John Heyman, yeah, you don't get it. it. You got to leave it, own it. Arson Judge, that will always be a nickname for Aaron Judge now. That'll be the story of the 2022 winter meetings is Arson and Coke. Coke Camels. Arson and Coke. Sounds like a fun weekend, Randall. Uh, first base is something the Cubs have needed to address. Two guys off the board in the last 10 days. Jose Abreu, the former White Sox, goes to Houston three years, 60 million. Josh Bell gets 33 million over two years to go to Cleveland. You look at either of those deals and go, the Cubs should have topped that, or is this just sort of out of their hands? Uh, Bell, I, I don't mind Josh Bell going to Cleveland. Like, I don't know. I It just didn't phase me. The Abreu one especially when you learned that so many other teams kind of offered a three-year deal, it kind of showed where this market was going. Like, you know, everybody was like, holy crap, Jose Abreu got three or 60 million. But then you find out like four other teams offered him a three-year contract or five. And you're like, whoa, that, that was a lot. But I, I didn't want the Cubs to offer that. But now looking at that market, it's like, you know, maybe they should have, maybe you would have had that first baseman locked up already with Bellinger and, and Tyone. And yeah, it would have cost you some money, but uh there are other options at the time. I didn't think it was as big of a deal, but now looking back, it's like, it would have been nice to have a Brayu. Hindsight. Hindsight is definitely 2020. When he signed that deal, I feel like we had kind of said, okay, you know, we wanted him for the Cubs, but not for three years at 60 million. Now, when you look at some of the contracts that were signed in the last week, I think in retrospect, we would have said, well, the Cubs overpaid to get a, a useful, talented player. And it's funny how uh, a week of signings and the market just continuing to inflate and inflate and inflate. It's funny how that changes the perception of a contract that um, we, some, man, I was saying, you know, that's a lot of money for a, a 36 year old. It's funny how that changes the perception of a contract like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, good for Jose Abreu though. Yeah. And uh, bad for the Chicago White Sox, right? The fan base is not taking that one. Well, this guy not only performed well on the South side, but he was like the heart and soul of the White Sox and ripping him out of there is not going to sit well with that fan base at all. And, and and if you're letting like I understand the thought process of letting Jose Abreu move and moving Andrew Vaughn to first base, he's going to be the guy of the future. He's a pretty good hitter. He's a terrible outfielder. Get him out of the outfield. But here's the deal: for a team that supposedly wants to compete, you can't let Jose Abreu no. leave and then do nothing to replace it. Like I, you, yeah. okay, you got Clevinger. We might talk about for twelve million, but you need to you need to get an outfielder now. Like you need to find that extra bat. Like you need to put that in. That's the issue to me. It's like, they're not doing anything about it. That's the problem. It's bad. It's yeah. really, really bad. And that fan base yeah. is, is feeling a window rapidly getting away from them. Yes. They got Tony La Russa out of the equation, but you're losing legitimate big league talent and you're not adding. Uh, but yeah, we will talk Clevinger because I've got something to ask you both on that front, but I want to go to the Mets here for a minute. Two-sided thing here for the Mets, Jacob deGrom, I think surprises everybody goes to the Texas Rangers five years, 185 million. This, this was one of those wow moments that I've had in the last week. The contract didn't surprise me that much. We knew he was, despite his being older, we knew he was going to get paid by somebody. I did not have it being the Texas Rangers. And when I saw that come over the wire, I let out an audible, holy shit. Because if you had told me <laughs> that DeGrom was going to Texas 
uh, it was going to end up with the Rangers. I would have said, you're you're crazy. There's no way some bigger market team is going to sign him. It's crazy. But good, again, good for the Texas Rangers. They've spent in the last two off seasons between DeGrom, they brought in Corey Seager. They brought his, brought in Marcus Semien. They brought in Jonathan Gray. They, they had a press conferences that lasted a full day last, uh, last spring to introduce three or four guys. Uh, but good for them for spending. I did not have DeGrom going to the Rangers, though. <clears throat> That, that deal surprised me. Uh, five years. I did not think DeGrom was going to get five years under 85 million. I thought, you know, two, three years at 40 million. I thought, you know, a little more than 40 million. Kind of <clears throat> what Verlander got and ended up getting from the Mets. I kind of thought that would be DeGrom. Uh, Texas didn't necessarily surprise me because they have spent the last two years, as, as Randall mm-hmm. just said. They spent a lot. Um, DeGrom leaving New York is kind of shocking. Once again, we talked about the Yankees not letting Judge leave, you know, with Steve Cohen spending – zillion dollars it's kind of hard to think of him letting um the grom leave but you know i we might touch on it but to me i think that they actually made a pretty good trade in getting verlander for Degrom. I, I think that was probably a pretty good deal by the mets and yeah that's the other side of the equation here the mets lose their ace so they go out and they spend a ton of money they get the american league cy young two years 86 million dollars holy cow for justin verlander yeah, oh yeah. Our old pal Jose Quintana, two years, twenty-six million. He's seeing a resurgence here late in his career. Wasn't that long ago we thought maybe Q was done. So he gets the deal. David Robertson, the former Cub, in on a one-year ten million dollar deal. And then the outfielder, Brandon Nimmo, eight one sixty-two. So boy, the Mets lose out on the Grom and they say, All right, screw it. They go, they get two starting pitchers, a veteran reliever, and a big time everyday player, and they just keep spending money. They supposedly. lost to Grom, but they found Nimmo. Supposedly, they're not done yet. I mean, they're still supposedly on Senga, which would be another starter for them. It's crazy how much money they have to spend. They're spending over $330 million currently now. That's threaten that's to TP Steve Cohen's house if they sign Senga. Don't think I won't do it, Steve. I'm crazy. I'm a Cubs fan on the edge. I'll do it. I would love to see you do that, Randall. I, you're I helping. You find out. You're helping, Jeremy. Let's go. Let's go. I'm in. Well, Ronan, let's... you coming? You gonna come? You gonna come with? You gonna help us egg and no, Randall, Steve Ronan's Cohen's house? No, no, no. Ronan's I'm cruising. Scared. I'm cruising down to the south side here because I want to talk about the White Sox again for a minute. Uh, they did address their starting rotation. Mike Clevenger coming in one year, twelve, thirteen million dollars. Used to play for the Cleveland Indians in the division, then went out to San Diego. This is an interesting deal, right? It's kind of a show me deal for him. Did either of you see this and go, oh, the Cubs could have done that? Or should that not even be something they'd been thinking about right now? No, Clevenger's not very good. He he has a, a bit of a checkered past off the field. Nothing illegal, but definitely a couple of character red flags. At no point in seeing Mike Clevenger end up with the White Sox did I think, gosh, I had I wish the Cubs had done that. That never crossed my mind. Um, I wasn't super high on Clevenger either. I I, I you know, I just coming from it, he, he hasn't really been that great in the last couple of years, and he's had uh, a little bit of issues, you know, you know, with his stuff and and stuff like that. So I don't know, but I did find it interesting that basically he had, when they were asking him questions, like when, you know, he was kind of announced as the White Sox, he was basically talking about how much he was looking forward to shoving Cleveland, like shoving it to Cleveland. And I'm like, all right, I guess yeah. that's good for the Sox. You get a guy who's motivated. Totally. But, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I know a lot of White Sox fans aren't real excited about that deal. And it, didn't really seem like it's like eh, it's kind of like a mediocre deal for me and hopefully for the White Sox sake that's not all that they do this offseason 
Yeah. I see. I thought it would have made sense for the Cubs more so like last year, last offseason, if this was the circumstance and if they could have gotten him at this rate. Now it doesn't really make sense. Uh, so I'm not sad that this happened, but you'd put a year into the equation here and maybe he does end up in the north side. And kind of on topic, but kind of backtracking a little bit, just thinking about guys that, you know, kind of in the situation, former Cleveland pitchers talking about for the Cubs, like, you know, I've seen Corey Kluber kind of mentioned on, you know, some as being a possible guy that the Cubs might take a chance on uh, throw out there. So I think that would be kind of an interesting guy to put in the rotation. All right, let's do another December 8 prediction. Who starts opening day for the Cubs next season? I'm going to say Marcus Stroman. I'm also going to predict Marcus Stroman. I think that's probably where that ultimately trends. We'll see where it goes. I think even if they acquire a guy who might even be a little bit better of a pitcher than Marcus Stroman, I think Stroman's going to be the number one guy just because being with the Cubs, I think think it's Stroman. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask that about six more times between now and the start of spring training uh, before obviously things are officially announced. There were a handful of other moves here. Anything of note to either of you guys that is worth talking about? Uh, Again, for the sake of time, we don't have to go through every single transaction, but anything else that headline maybe from the last week that has you stirring a bit. Yeah. Kenley Jansen to Boston, two years, 32 million. That jumped out at me just because Kenley Jansen, you know, he's been up and down a little bit of a roller coaster, but he's still getting pretty decent money. It makes me wonder kind of what Craig Kimbrell is going to get on the free agent market. Someone is going to sign him. Some team will say we can fix him. Um, and we'll get a great reliever at a bargain price. I'm wondering if that might end up being the Cubs again, but it does make me wonder what Craig Kimbrell is going to get on the free agent market. Um, Just because teams are going to get to the point where all of the sure things are gone, you're going to need to start taking flyers on guys. So I'm really curious to see where Craig Kimbrell lands and what he gets after Kenley Jansen ends up in Boston for two years, 32 million. I'm going to kind of stay there in Boston, but I'm going to go all the way across the pond on the other side to Randall's neck of the wood, Japan. And uh, Masataka Yoshida, I think, was an interesting signing, breaking Seiya Suzuki's record for a position player for, or I believe, for uh, a, a biggest signing. And it's an interesting kind of guy. A lot of range of opinions on this guy who had great contact skills, apparently, but kind of, you know, we looked at what Seiya did coming over. He, You saw the power drop. You saw the contact drop. You saw, you know, he was still obviously a fine player. And so I'm, I'm a little skeptical. And they give all that money to a guy from Japan. But apparently, and I know it's not the same amount of money, but I would have put more of that money towards Xander Bogarts and making sure I would have kept him as a Boston Red Sox. So I'm curious how Red Sox fans are feeling right now. You know, okay, we got this guy Yoshida from Japan who are all, you know, a lot of mixed opinions, but we we lost our star shortstop. And uh, one other one other deal that does stand out to me is Mitch Hanniger. He did end up with the Giants. They they wanted Hanniger and Judge. They ended up with just Hanniger. He goes there for three years, forty three and a half million. I think that's going to prove uh, a steal for them. Hanniger's a pretty decent hitter. Been playing in Seattle, which we know depresses offense just a little bit. Um, I think he's going to have a real nice time in San Francisco. I think they're going to be real happy with that contract. When I saw that come over the wire, I said, you know, that's a decent player getting a really nice contract. And it seems like it's probably going to work out for both parties there. I just hope that Hanniger deal puts them a little, takes a little too much money out of That's out right. Of to that's right. They're going to gonna hear Carlos Correa's demands and they're going to say, damn, we could have done that if we only if we hadn't committed $43.5 million exactly. to Mitch Hanniger. It's like, what? We could have paid him 380 but no, we got, we're stuck with this $40 million to Hanniger. 
You can't There's compete. a lot more coming. A lot more moves to be made here, and we'll be on top of it. Uh, hopefully the Cubs can make a big splash. Maybe by the time we get this thing published and posted, there'll be a big move, and this will already be dated. But Cubs in a, a bit of a tough spot right now with two of the shortstops off the board with a whole bunch of starting pitchers that have landed in different cities and still some gaping needs in the Cubs roster as they look to that 2023 season. Uh, Let's end on a high note, though, here with the Cubs. A guy that we have all grown up with is the voice of the Chicago Cubs, Pat Hughes, the play-by-play voice for the Cubs on the radio since 1996, got the call of a lifetime earlier this week. He is the recipient of the 2023 Ford C. Frick Award. Pat Hughes is going to Cooperstown. Well-deserved, much-deserved honor for the voice of the Cubs. Could not possibly be happier for him. You know, I've been listening to Pat Hughes critically for nearly 20 years. He is the the soundtrack just about every great baseball memory I have one way or the other. Uh, you know, I, I could not possibly be happier for him. He actually did a, a short hit on the daytime show on 670 uh, after he had gotten the call. And, you know, if I'm turning on Sports Talk Radio... Uh, for any reason, not to listen to a Cubs game. If I'm turning on sports talk radio, it's got to be for something pretty important. And it was, he just sounded so humble, so happy, uh, so relieved. He And he didn't want to talk about himself at all. He could talk about nothing except for how Wrigley is the star of the show and the players and the fans. And he's just there to kind of tell us what's happening. I could not possibly be happier for Pat Hughes. Well-deserved doesn't even begin to describe it. Very deserving. Uh, Great news for the Cubs organization. Great for Pat Hughes. The guy, as Randall said, you know, he's been the soundtrack of every summer for the last 25 years or so on on WGN radio. And it's just been, or in, in, and moved off, of course, moved off at WGN radio, but it's just been, he's the guy. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny though. He did beat out Steve Stone, another former longtime uh, Cub and now White Sox broadcaster. But uh, yeah, I, you can't think of a person more deserving than Pat Hughes. You cannot. Well, we think of him Cubs-centric, but he's had a long career, including stops not in Chicago. He's broadcast nearly 7,000 big league games going back to 1983, did a year in Minnesota, did nearly 12 years in Milwaukee with Bob Uecker, a Hall of Famer. Then he comes to the Cubs all those years, the Pat and Ron show. He has called nine Chicago Cubs playoff teams, starting with Sammy and the boys in 1998. He is the only Cubs announcer ever to call a World Series win. That's incredible. That's Pat Hughes. He's a Cubs Hall of Famer. Now he's a National Baseball Hall of Famer. Just an awesome, awesome celebration for our guy in the booth. And two quick things that stood out to me about this, this well-deserved honor. One, in his uh, his radio hit that day, he actually said he's not the biggest fan of his own World Series call. He says it's competent. He says, you know, he told the audience what was happening without losing his composure. But he said if he could do it again, he would. And then, of I course, agree, he said... He, he, I would agree, Pat. That's right. And then, of course, he said that... Um, He hopes to get to do it again. And the other thing was that the Cubs Twitter account, they actually posted a video of him getting the call from the Hall of Fame and putting it on speakerphone and all that. And in that same video, he reads a text from Bob Costas, who I don't know that I care for him that much, but he is still, of course, a venerated broadcaster. And the the text to Pat was just so gracious, well-deserved, I'll see you in Cooperstown. Pat calls Bob Costas, and they have just this wonderful respectful conversation. You got the feeling that Pat Hughes is the guy every time a broadcaster from a visiting team or even a national broadcast comes into town, you feel like they always take a minute 
to stop and talk to Pat Hughes because he's just that nice and that respectful and that wonderful of an individual. I will, I will say, and for as wonderful as that video was and how much I loved it, it didn't make me a little bit sad because it made me think of all the times his broadcast partner, Ron, yes. Ron sat in that same situation and didn't get the call and how yep. heartbreaking that was. So when I was watching it, I was like, oh, even though I knew what happened, I'm just thinking about Ron getting his heartbreak, not having his heart broken time and time again. Well, yeah. You know, and- I like to think that wherever Santo is right now, they have Wi-Fi. Um, and yeah. I like to think that Santo is uh, as is as happy as any of us for his former broadcast partner. Yeah, no question. And our generation of Cubs fans, there's a generation before us that thinks of Ron Santo as the all-star third baseman, one of the greatest Cubs of all time, period. Maybe the greatest Cub of all time. Mr. Cub is obviously Ernie Banks, but Ron Santo was, uh, I think, still underappreciated by Cubs fans, how competent he was on the field. But we grew up with Pat and Ron, and it shaped our Cubs fandom, some of our favorite players and moments. He called Sammy Sosa's 500th and 600th career home runs. Talk about Pat Hughes. That How many broadcasters get to do that for any player? And we, as Cubs fans, growing up in the 90s and the 2000s, he was the guy that brought it to us. So I think it's special, obviously not just for Pat, but there's generations of Cubs fans here. This is important to all of us. And it's great that the baseball community recognized this and he's going to get his day in Cooperstown with Fred McGriff. Yeah. All right, lightning round. What is your number one Pat Hughes call? It can be a moment or it can be a line. I've got mine. Where are yours? I, I, I I'll, I'll put one out there. No, Jeremy, you go first. Take it. I think just the first one that hits me, and I haven't really thought about it, and there's a bunch that are out there, but the first one that hits me is 2015, Hector Rondon winning the that NLDS. Yeah, that's my. Is that what you got, Randall? Jeremy, you son of a bitch, you stole my uh, answer. I, well, you asked. Well, I wish you, you could just yeah. offered it up. Yeah, right, Ronan, um, what do you got? I'm, I'm going to go completely different, right? Because, yeah, there's so many great moments. And unfortunately, I agree with Pat. The World Series call wasn't a Pat Hughes call. It doesn't matter. He's going to get at least one more, and it's going to be better than the last one. But I think it, it, when I'm trying to sum up my Cubs fandom, I don't think of the good moments. I think of the heartbreak. And the two calls that kind of jump out at me, the Brant Brown call with, with obviously Ronnie in the background just screaming, like what's a more Cubs moment in Pat Hughes' career than Brant Brown dropping the ball in Milwaukee? And on the other side of it, one of my favorite moments, period, in Cubs history, Ricky Gutierrez coming around third against the Rockies in 2001. Pat was on that call, and you get the classic Ron in the background wailing and screaming. It's like They capture the chaos of that play perfectly. So, yes, there have been some great big moments and some championship moments in the last couple of years, but I go back, Brant Brown dropping the ball, Ricky Gutierrez tripping around third. That is classic vintage Pat Hughes to me, and he nailed both of them. You know, we we could sit here all night just picking out best Pat Hughes. Jeremy took my answer. I'll pick out a different one. This one's on the Pat Hughes, Ron Santo CD they put out some years ago. The great interplay between Pat and Ron. Uh, It it, it ends with, uh, what does rain smell like, Ron? You know, it's kind of a wet smell. And later on, uh, the, the great moment where I didn't know that was a word, Patrick, raggedness. And of course, Pat, ever the straight man, he responds to Santo. The word's got kind of a wet smell to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way, though, the interplay between him and Santo, the way that Pat was the consummate straight man, uh, you just, just can't get enough of it ever. Well, Randall, you're going to send us off today with a Pat Hughes clip. Have you decided what you want to play to end the show today? 
I, I decided before I even decided we were going to end the show, it will be, of course, Jeremy's pick and my pick. I cool. wish all of you were right here at this moment. Yeah, that's the perfect way to end it. So uh, let's do that. Lots going on here with the Cubs. It's been a fun show. We hope the next one is even more fun. Maybe Carlos Correa will be a Chicago Cub. And if that happens, whether it is tomorrow or Sunday or next week, we're going to jump in with our thoughts as soon as that contract gets signed and he's coming to the north side. But uh, let's tip the cap here to Pat Hughes, the National Baseball Hall of Famer. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week. I wish all of you could be right here at this moment. Unbelievable atmosphere. And the 0-2. Swing and a miss.